Okay. So good evening. I am here. How are you? I am Hi. here with uh, Bridget Eaton. Um, Bridget is uh, what I like to call, as I see her as a um, sarcoidosis um, advocate, awareness advocate, so a sarcoidosis awareness advocate. And um, and the, we just actually ended the month of Sarcoidosis Awareness Month. And I know that Bridget has done um, some walks and uh, Bridget's mom has been affected by the disease. And so I wanted to um, take some time to have a conversation with um, the loved one of someone who has been affected by the disease to help bring awareness to this. It's also something that I have been dealing with. I was diagnosed in uh, 2013. I may have been carrying it for many years prior to that, uh, but the the true diagnosis came in 2013. And so I'm happy to have Bridget here um, to share her story with her about her mom. And so we're just going to dive right in and have a great conversation to bring awareness to sarcoid doses. Um, a lot of people, Bridget, never heard of the disease until um, famous people got it, right? Is that Was that your experience? True, true. Um, in grad school, I went to Coppin State University. We had to pick a disease and do a presentation on it. Mm -hmm. Around that same time, Bernie Mac had gotten diagnosed with psychedosis. He was seen on TV with the oxygen and things like that. And since right. my mom was diagnosed, she was diagnosed actually in 1994 when she wow. was 36 years old. Wow. Um, at that time, it wasn't really much information about it. The Foundation for Psychedosis Research hadn't been established yet. Nonetheless, mm -hmm. I was able to pull together some information and do a presentation on it. And it mm -hmm. went so well that I was able to participate in a health fair um, at Coppin doing um, just a table of awareness about psychedosis. Wow. You know, one of the things, and just to refresh myself today, I was looking at some statistics, is that um, they estimate about 200,000 people each year are diagnosed with a disease. But the awareness is so low. Like when, um, you know, I was first diagnosed, I was like, okay, what is that? How do we treat it? What do I need to do? And um, as I started digging more, I saw that it was prevalent amongst women, um, especially amongst African-American women. And I saw one of the things I found out through my own journey, Bridget, is that not even medical professionals really know how to deal with this disease. You really have to have like a team of people working together. Um, and so a basic um, definition of sarcoids is uh, basically an inflammatory disease that can attack you anywhere. Uh, for me, it showed up in my lungs, in my skin. Um, what happened to me is that I started having like all of these breakouts. And I was going to the dermatologist. I kept going. She was prescribing me um, different creams and stuff like that. And then one day she said, you know, have you ever um, uh, been diagnosed for... No, she didn't ask me. What she said is that, hey, I'm going to do a biopsy of your skin because I started getting all of these... Um, uh, breakouts around my nose, around my eyes, my neck. And so she said, I'm just going to clip a little piece of your nose. And she did. I said, oh, okay, well, how about, I think it was just two days later, 
she called me and an internal disease doctor called me and said, okay, now you need to get over to your doctor because you need to have a chest workup. And I'm like, for what? They said, we believe that what we're seeing is consistent with sarcoids. And I'm like, okay, I thought I was having um, uh, anxiety attacks. I was under a lot of stress. You know, I'm like, what is this? Like I was getting, you know, shortness of breath more than usual my skin. They just could not control my skin. I've always been someone who um, is easily fatigued, but the fatigue that I was feeling, it was like, it. you know how something is running out of gas? That's how I was feeling. Like it was, it took every piece of energy in my body to just keep going. And so um, that's how they diagnosed me through my skin. But Bridget, I believe that I have had this disease for many years. I I really do. I believe that I've had it for many years, just thinking back, um, even maybe into like middle school, um, you know, yeah, like I really think that it may have been kind of dormant or I had symptoms of it. Um, You know, when I was in middle school, I went to Florida. I would go to Florida every summer and visit my grandmother and one summer i got these breakouts on my skin from like nowhere so they just chalked it up as skin issues but then uh fast forward to some years down the road before i was diagnosed i was driving to new york and um all of a sudden i couldn't see and my kids were still little yeah and so it was in my eyes all of that but they just told me that it was uveitis And so I had uveitis. I had to take steroid drops for about like 90 days. Johns Hopkins actually did test me for sarcoids, uh, but they didn't find it. They did a a regular chest workup and um, they didn't do the the chest workup with uh, contrast. When they did it with contrast after the, um, in 2013, after the, the dermatologist um, biopsied me, that's when they found it. And that's when they made it conclusive. So I'd like to hear, um, yes, I think that's important to know because Mm -hmm. I I just knew that when Mm -hmm. I found out my mom had it, I made them test me and they're like, Oh, you don't have the symptoms. I was like, well, I'm not leaving until you test me. Yeah. Good for you. With contracts. Good for you, yes. With contrast is how they actually found it. And so now I have a great pulmonologist and um, you know, I actually have to get a new uh, primary care because mine just left her practice. Um, and so, you know, it's important that the medical professionals are educated because they know that it's out there and they know what to do. But sometimes I think that they get symptoms confused. So I'd like to hear about your mom's story and, you know, when did you, when did she, when was she diagnosed and what was your experience with that? So she was 36 years old, which is interesting that we're even talking about this because I just turned 36 like a few days ago. Wow. So she was diagnosed at the same age I am now. And that was, yeah, it was 1994. Mm-hmm. I was in middle school, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, and we didn't know what it was. We thought maybe, like you had mentioned, stress and things like that. My mom right. always, coming from New York, she's always had two and three jobs. That mm-hmm. was just like, are, are you saying New Yorkers, we work like two and three jobs all the time? Most New Yorkers do. All my family there does. They, see, the cost of living is up there. Yeah, but yeah. She, did that here um, in Maryland as well. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And um, so her symptoms were the struggling to breathe, 
she had the um the constant coughing mm-hmm. and what else so it was the struggling to breathe constant coughing always tired which was she was very high energy running around um she worked with kids she had her own daycare center at wow. her home at one point helped the church we were attending at that time start a church daycare center and so when all these things were going on she was slower than normal mm-hmm. but she was still because she was always high energy as well yeah. she still functioned um nobody knew and then she had difficulty walking because of pain in the joints wow so that led to just a whole host of tests to trying to figure out what it was and everything every symptom she had was attributed to something else they they weren't connected for a long while right so that was a big thing for her. And then once they did all get connected, they found out it was sarcoidosis. What they did was prednisone, very high levels of prednisone. Yeah. Um, and there, the uh, immunosuppressant, uh, the immunosuppressant was the prednisone, but they also did the air there just for the breathing because she was mm-hmm. struggling to breathe. Mm-hmm. Then they finally did x-ray her chest and they was like, oh, she had scarring of the lungs and she, I think she brought the x-ray home and it looked like holes in the lungs and I'm like, yeah. what's going on? Yeah. Um, and that was something she had dealt with for a while and no one knew how to treat it. Mm-hmm. And I just used it as an opportunity to research about it and we learned more and more about it because for a while she would have periods with no symptoms. Wow. Yeah. And, and that's the thing about it. You said something a few minutes ago, Bridget, that is so um, true. You said nobody knew because she kept going and she was probably this person because everything that you're describing is kind of like me. Like I will keep going and going, but when I'm tired, I crash. And so I have to, um, in order to take care of myself, I have to make sure I plan out my days. I have to try to try to get some balance, right? Because to me, balance is not an end thing. It's like an everyday thing, like having that balance. So it's like getting up. When I get up in the morning, I know I'm an early bird, so I like to get up. There's certain times of the day that I get exhausted. Um, and then when the evening comes, I try to do like uh, to get those good eight, nine hours of sleep. I try to, but if I don't, it will wear on me. My face will start breaking out more. Um, you know, I'll feel a lot more th- lethargic because I think rest is the best medicine to to this for me in the, the stages where I am. Um, so talk about like, you know, how did you feel seeing her go through this? Um, what 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 is it that you saw and, and how did it affect you? So at first, um, I, I didn't understand it. I didn't know what she was going through. I couldn't understand it, but I very much saw the symptoms, symptoms that were beyond just her saying she was tired. She actually appeared tired. Yeah. And having the high energy mom who did everything, it was just a weird, weird thing. I'm like, mm-hmm. well, can't they just fix it? Yeah. You know, I had that type of attitude. Mm-hmm. And then I start, uh, I guess Google was around then, but I was on the internet looking up mm-hmm. things that she did. <laughs> I wanted her to try a lot of non-medical kind of outrageous type of things. And she's like, girl, I'm not doing that. I was like, well, they say this work. I wanted her to do like yoga, meditation, mm-hmm. you know, that, that type of thing. But literally she was on, so her treatment, unfortunately, I think her treatment caused further illnesses as well or mm-hmm. further symptoms. Yeah. So in addition to the prednisone and the there. 
she was on the oxygen therapy constant, which wow. for somebody independent as my mom was a little bit tough because she didn't want to wear the oxygen when she had to go somewhere special mm-hmm. and didn't want to wear the oxygen to church. Right. And so most of my free time was spent running around getting her because either she couldn't drive from where she was because she was too out of breath or she went out and got stranded because she was too out of breath, but right. also too proud to ask for help. Wow. And so I'm like, Mom, where are you? And I, I remember just like every Sunday going to get her from church or some of it she participated in without taking the oxygen with her. Mm-hmm. And then while we were still living together, I would hear her sometimes at night, the oxygen stopped. So I'm getting up, running from my room to hers. Mm-hmm. Where's have it on? Oh, yeah, well, I got tired of it. I took it off. I was like, we need to put it back on because you sound like you're not breathing. Right. So that's kind of what my... Um, Mm-hmm. Um, role was like in her life, which she <laughs> didn't quite care for. But kind of helped, like, she was calm at times because they had her on a red wine regimen nightly, one glass. And my mom, at one point in her life, was very religious. And mm-hmm. so she was like, Look, I'm not going to be drinking every night. I was like, Mine, it's red wine. Yeah. Now, you know, well, you know, Bridget, I kind of like that one. I need to hear a little bit more about that one. <laughs> well, Bridget, before we go further, what's your mom's name? Patricia. Patricia. So I just wanted to remind folks because I had to turn on the recording for Zoom, although I have the recording here for the podcast, that we are um, here with Bridget Eaton. She is a sarcoidosis awareness advocate and her mom was affected by the disease and unfortunately uh, the disease led to her death. Is that correct, Bridget? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yep. And how yes. old was she when this happened? Uh, I believe she was 58. Okay. Okay. 58 when this happened. Mm-hmm. And um, I think it came about just because the treatment of the symptoms caused some situations as well. Yeah. With her being with such high levels of the prednisone, um, she was short-tempered. Um, diabetes runs in our family. Mm-hmm. So that kind of got worse. Mm-hmm. Then she got pulmonary hypertension, weight gain, fluid retention. I mean... One time she decided to go to Walmart and then she got a ride to my aunt's house. We were all gathered for a Sunday dinner. Mm-hmm. We literally had to cut her pants off of her because she retained that much fluid that it Aww. began to cut off. Wow. It's just so shocking to see, you know, somebody have a normal size leg and then mm-hmm. all of a sudden it's not. Right. Um, and, and we learned later that a lot of those symptoms came from high level use of the prednisone. Absolutely. Absolutely. So when I was first diagnosed, um, of course, because that's their first line of defense, their first line of treatment is prednisone. Um, And I can look back at pictures, Bridget, and I can see um, what we call a pie face. Like you can, you almost have to see me in that face because it, it starts to, my face starts to swell from that prednisone. You carry water, all of that. And I can imagine that back then they didn't even really understand the effects of prednisone because now, um, and actually, unfortunately right now, I'm on a temporary dose of um, of steroid, a very low, low dose, just temporary because I have gone a year and a half without any medication. 
without, yeah. And that's my goal. Um, I actually fight my pulmonologist about that quite often. Uh, one of the things I have learned how to do is take control of my own medical care. You know, I listen to them, but at the same time, I need them to listen to me because those steroids can be really harmful. And they've tried other medications with me um, probably about two years ago. They tried another um, medication with me that um, is something that they also use for malaria. And I tell you, that thing had me so lethargic and weird and, oh, it was just too much. And I remember my daughter saying to me, like, Ma, that's, it's just too much. Like, I don't even like seeing you like this because um, it, was, it was weird. Um, it was, that was one. And then the methotrexate is another one. Maybe that's a newer drug um, too, but neither one of them made me feel, I'm like, this doesn't, it makes, it doesn't do anything for me. And, and I could tell that it was hurting more than it was helping. So yeah, it's been a good, I would, I would say a little over a year and a half since I've been on any medication. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So I have to get my rest. I have to take care of myself and keeping that stress level down. That's that's something I'm working on, Bridget. Um, yeah, but keeping that right. stress level down because I could feel when I'm stressed, I could feel my inflammation just flare right up. Like I can feel it all the time. Talk about her flare-ups. Um, what did she say to you during her flare-ups? Well, unfortunately for her, her flare-ups were most of the time. She was kind of always in a constant state of flare-ups. Mm-hmm. So she would meet the pulmonologist every every few months, sometimes wow. more often because mm-hmm. she visited emergency rooms so often and she was like so much of an advocate for herself and mm-hmm. then somebody needed to fix it. She was always before specialists and mm-hmm. they were always doing the lung, trans- the lung function test and they were always... Um, just seeing where she was as far as progress. And one of the things that was common with her flare-ups was just mm-hmm. being extremely lethargic. Yeah. When she was her worst, she was, that was when she would be tired. She would be in the middle of talking and fall asleep. Wow. Wow. She still, she chose to live life as if nothing was wrong with her. Right. And so we just kept going until she couldn't go anymore. Right. And you would just fall asleep wherever we were mm-hmm. and so that's what it looked like for her mm-hmm. um you know till the day she died if she wanted to do something that's what she was gonna do mm-hmm. but she she didn't in my opinion take as much ownership of her health care as you see people do today yeah. which i wish she had done because my yeah. aunt also has psychodosis does she and it's alive she rarely does what the doctor says. Sometimes she doesn't even listen to them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to say it out loud, but sometimes I'm like, yeah, okay, I'll do that. Yeah. <laughs> but she she has not had the level of flare-ups and the level of um, symptoms mm-hmm. um, that my mom has had. And I don't yeah. know if it's because just a later diagnosis and once it being later they were able to have a different strategy or more so just because the regimen that they think worked doesn't right 
Right, exactly. You know, and um, it sounds like with your mom, when she found out, she was like there already. There was no little symptoms. It sounds like she may have been in one of those highest stage. I think it's what, uh, four stages, Bridget? Um, and oh. so, yeah, I, I think she probably just hit, probably just hit her so hard. Um, and so it is a chronic disease, um, but because it's not something that you could see you're either gaining weight from the steroids or you're losing weight and one of the people that i pay attention to often is tony braxton although she doesn't have sarcoids i can almost tell when she's on some form of a medication or a steroid because you see her face swell you know all of that and it does kind of take on some of the symptoms like lupus um, but you could see the difference in that but the thing is, is that with a chronic disease that nobody can see, it's hard to explain. So I don't even try. I don't. Like, I don't even try. I, I just try to keep going and keep going and do what I have to do. But when I have to rest, I must get my rest, you know, and trying to eat better and exercise, that helps me a lot. Um, but I said this, like I said, the stress is the biggest piece. And so one of the things I wanted to do um, is uh, read that sarcoidosis is a chronic inflammatory condition that leads to the formation of persistent granulomas or clumps of inflammatory cells. Um, and so when those clumps like really get bad, it almost feels for me like somebody's taking a towel inside my joints and wringing my joints. That's how it feels. Um, and one of my best friends has been ibuprofen. Um, it, it is like Motrin is normally my really best friend. Um, but I can't. Okay, so for example, I have an event to go to on Saturday evening. I have a, um, a girlfriend's dinner party to go to. And so that's at eight o'clock. I know that I need to be there at seven to help her. I can't go all day. Like I can't get up in the morning and be out all night and all of that. I have to plan in advance to say, okay, I got this. So I'm not really going to do anything on Saturday morning. I may do a little cleaning, but naps, my best friend. That's my best friend. That helps me to be able to stay off of the sarco off of the steroids. I'm on a temporary dose now because I could feel that I haven't been feeling my best, um, and so we agreed to just a 10 5 milligram downgrade thing, and then I'll probably be off again. So that I'll do. But at first, when I first got it, Bridget, I think I was started off at like 80 something milligrams a day a day that was a lot um and yeah. I, yeah and my body swells now but with that oh, it was crazy i couldn't believe it and it's still taking me even after a year and a half time to keep that weight off because yeah. it's dangerous weight right mm -hmm. and it's not like regular weight gain it's really just fluid retention Mhm. Mm absolutely yeah the biggest thing as a diabetes, I'm sorry, I'm thinking of diabetes. It's that that's what my son has. But as a sarcoids awareness advocate, what have you seen like during your walks and sitting in on health fairs and stuff like that? What are some of the things you've heard about? I think the biggest thing is that they don't know and they're not giving enough attention to the disease, mm. which is one of the reasons why. Well, obviously, with my mom dying for it from it, but also having an aunt who had it and then supposedly recently finding out that they suspect my grandfather had it as well. Wow. Um, 
really trying to dig into it and see, making sure my cousins are staying aware to make sure that they don't get it. Or if they do get it, we have a, a game plan about how to treat it, right. figuring out what's the best approach. Um, what I find is just a lot of people doing their own thing. Mm-hmm. Most people that I've met at walks mm-hmm. have tried numerous things from a lot of holistic things and mm-hmm. marijuana, all types of stuff. Not well. <laughs> yeah, I've the, heard about that one. Mm-hmm. The, um, just the, uh, I guess, what is it like the CBD oil from it, that mm-hmm. type of things. I've seen, I've, I've heard. You know, I talked to so many people who are trying a variety of things, mm-hmm. and some people are doing well, some people aren't. Okay. And I just think that's the other challenge is that it shows up a little bit differently in everybody. Right. Right. Initially, at least, I think. A lot of the main symptoms as far as struggling to breathe and being tired, that has been consistent. Mm-hmm. But, some, but but the other things that come along with it has varied so much. Yeah. So I'm hopeful that more attention is given to it. Um, I was surprised about um, the number of celebrities, and I don't know the number offhand, but the number of celebrities who had it. Yeah. And I'm hoping that more attention will be given to, to it. I can't remember the... Um, football player but it's one football player who has psychosis cleats i'll email that to you yeah i thought so he's been um i think he's been really talking about it during this past month uh during the games or whatever he's been doing um and i forget his name but i think i came across it as well um but that chronic fatigue um and the the throat stuff you know, it's the this my, it's my skin, the chronic fatigue and the throat stuff. Um, does your aunt have those symptoms as well? My aunt has she has a scarring of the lungs. She wow. one of her lungs is collapsed. She oh, had no. a joint issue as well. So oh, I wow. affected her joints. Both knees were replaced. Mm. Well, my mom, my mom only had one knee replaced. My mom had the scarring of the lungs, but her lungs did not collapse. Mm-hmm. My aunt got diagnosed later her symptoms were worse but my aunt kind of just really disregarded everything the doctor said and did her own thing mm-hmm. uh, she, she, she has up days and down days but most days are a up day for her because mm-hmm. she kind of just lives life how she wants to live life kind of always been a free spirit mm-hmm. party type person and she still does that mm-hmm. and she take a nap just wherever she'll do yeah. that too <laughs> yes. well well you tell your aunt the next time you talk to her that you have met her nap partner because i tell you my kids will be like mom you got to take a nap again yes I, I, y'all want me to go out with y'all tonight i need a nap I need a nap. Absolutely. Um, so I just looked it up. It says famous people with sarcoids. Of course, Bernie Mac is at the top and Reggie White um, is the football player or one of the football players, a few journalists. And um, and then it says uh, what I want to talk about those early symptoms. That's why I wanted to um, share the things that I have. Um the tender reddish bumps on your skin. Uh, so having these different bumps on your skin, red teary eyes or blurred vision. That's another reason why I believe that I may have had it years prior to my diagnosis because I always had that blurred vision. Um, when I would have a flare up in my eyes, I couldn't even lift my eyes up to the light, Bridget. 
I mean, oh, wow. it felt as if somebody was stabbing me at the top of my head when I would have a flare up. And this was before I was diagnosed and they said it was just the uveitis. Uveitis is a consistent symptom of sarcoids. Um, and so what would happen is, is with uveitis, you get inflammation behind your eyes and that's why you got to take those steroid drops. So that's, um, an early sign, swollen, painful joints. Um, sometimes I'll say like, and, and it, it feels like the flu, you know how, when you get the flu and your body aches, it feels like the flu times 10 when you're having a flare up, like it really does. And then, um, enlarged and tender lymph glands in the neck, armpits, and groin. Um, I don't think I've ever gotten them in the groin, but I've definitely gotten them in my neck. Um, enlarged lymph glands in the chest and around the lungs. Um, I have the granulomas on my lungs. Thank God they're not worse. Um, you know, there are times where they get a little better, but they're not worse um, from when I was uh, diagnosed. So that's a good thing. Um, I believe that me trying to eat better, trying to exercise, all of that, and being on a, a certain regimen helps my body a lot. I could feel the difference. Um, and then having a hoarse voice. Um, and that for me, these past few weeks that my voice has been hoarse for weeks now uh, because I could, like I told you, I was feeling like, you know what, I'm not feeling my best. I do have some external stresses too that's happening. And so that makes it kind of worse. Um, but when I saw that you were doing the walks, um, I said, you know what, I want to talk to Bridget because it would be great to just share this conversation. And that's all the podcast is about is sharing conversations so that people can learn from just everyday folks like you and I, um, especially when it comes to issues that are really affecting women and, um, and more so women of color. So talk to us about when you do the walks and the money is raised and stuff like that, where is that money going? Um, do, and how can people get involved if they don't want to walk or maybe do they, maybe if they want to walk? So um, the Foundation for Psychodosis Research was founded in 2000. Mm -hmm. um, and since that time, they have started just collecting funds for, for psychodosis research. They mm -hmm. use a very little bit of the funds that come in for just operation costs. They have a small operation. And then they partner with people affected in the community to do satellite walks. Mm -hmm. They always have a main walk. It's always in April. Coincidentally, it's always like the last weekend in April, which is right around my birthday. So I'm usually off and can make it. Uh -huh. And um, the goal is to have people just donate what they can. Mm -hmm. And if they can't donate, they can just spread awareness about it. They, they mm -hmm. always give you the option to be a virtual walker, to, mm -hmm. to participate in a satellite walk somewhere in the United States is usually three or four mm -hmm. um, various places across the United States and then they have a main one so in 2018 mm -hmm. I went to the main one in Atlanta mm -hmm. and that was nice um, and then this year the main one was in New Orleans I couldn't make that one so I went to the one in Philadelphia the satellite walk mm -hmm. in Philadelphia mm -hmm. um, I've talked to them quite a bit I've ordered pins from them um, that I wear um, purple is the color to represent the, the disease. Yeah. Um, I have, uh, what's it? It's called KISS. It's, it's what the walk is called. And it's kick in to stop psychosis. Mm -hmm. So one of the things I started doing as I've evolved and I've aged is looking at my 
gifting. And so for Christmas, everybody got an awareness bracelet in a lieu of giving people a Christmas gift. I did a donation in, in the family of my mom to the organization, mm-hmm. um, that type of thing. And I think bringing awareness about it, particularly in the family, in addition to letting them know about the organization, has been something that's been a personal mission for me. And Good. then also hoping that I don't get it. But mm-hmm. then if I if I were setting myself up to a place where I could manage it, as you mm-hmm. know, right? we were working together, I was much larger than I am now. Right, I was right. about 250 pounds. Mm-hmm. Now I'm 174. You look well, wonderful, was, by the way. Thanks. When mm-hmm. I found out I was pre-diabetic, mm-hmm. um, I went on this whole host of doing everything I could to eat more real food, cutting mm-hmm. out processed food. Mm-hmm. And I tried to get my mom on that same thing because if she ate a burger that we made in the house compared to a burger that she ate at McDonald's, the inflammation was different. Totally different. Mm-hmm. Because that was a symptom of the prednisone. Right. But was not the same extent mm-hmm. and so i was like mom do you, I, I really got on her nerves which is why she moved out because we were living together really she moved, out, yeah, she moved out because i was religiously on her i was like we're gonna beat this this is what you need to do yeah yeah but it, it didn't coincide with where society was at the time mm-hmm. you know we weren't into being holistic we weren't into being radical about health like i think right the world now mm-hmm. um but i was on that train that which got me to being healthy now. Yeah. Um, just, I, I think she did the best, and she put a lot of trust in doing what the doctor said. Mm-hmm. And I, I look at that as an example, like, you, you, like you almost like you mentioned this. You have to doctor yourself. Mm-hmm. Take what they tell you. Listen. Maybe yeah. give it a try. But if it's not working, communicate with them and say, "Hey, I'm not doing this. What can I do instead? What right. can I do that doesn't require?" the chemicals and things like that. So that's my personal mission. When I wow. meet somebody, I tell them about the stopsychordosis.org. Mm-hmm. I tell them about the treatment regimen that meant that my mom followed and mm-hmm. the one my aunt doesn't. And then mm-hmm. I also tell them about things that I know have helped me just get better. Mm-hmm. I mean, losing weight is one thing, but eating healthy is another. Right. I lost weight just as a byproduct of getting healthy. Mm-hmm. I was big and beautiful, and I was fine with being big yes. and beautiful. Uh-huh. Losing weight wasn't the motivation. The motivation mm-hmm. was like, okay, I need to set myself up for a health success. Mm-hmm. I had put so much, you you know, I put yeah. so much in my career. Right. I got out of an environment that I found out was too stressful oh, for yeah. me. Oh, I yeah. was handling it, but I was handling it at 250 pounds. Right. And some of the weight loss just came from moving out of an environment that didn't suit me. That's right. Because it was how how well. And so that's one of the things that I think people need to do, evaluate their lives. What's working for you just generally? Do you like your job? Do you mm-hmm. like the people you're hanging around? Are they mm-hmm. building you? Because mm-hmm. if not, those things are going to impact your health as well. And that's as I, so oh, true. Man, mm-hmm. I got better. But also... When my mom was not as busy, when she did things that was more so her passion instead of just working, she yes. got better. Yeah. Because it was days she would be totally fine. And I was like, well, mom, you weren't home all day. We were right. Right. She was like, well, I watched the kids go to school and some of them didn't have hats and gloves and some of them didn't eat breakfast. So I just stood out there and handed them gloves and stuff that I got from the dollar store. And I'm like, you did what? It made I'm her like, happy. It's that, it's that same, how are you feeling? She's 
Yeah, look at that. Look at that. So I think that's a part of it as well. It was amazing yeah. that she could do that and had no symptoms. Yeah. Whereas she's in a meeting or something, she's all swollen up. Yeah. Yep. Like, my, my skin starts popping out and everything. But, you know, I'm so thankful that I have a job that I have a lot of flexibility with now so that I can build in my own personal um, balance, right? My personal work-life balance. I figure that at this point in my life and my career, if I can't have a job that I can balance myself so that I could physically take care of myself, then I don't need that job. I work too hard. So, you know... Um, and the funny thing is, Bridget, is that I don't, I don't know if you were gone by then, but when I was diagnosed, um, there was a lot going on. Um, there was, uh, I think I was in, involved with managing multiple offices because people were out and things were being moved around, all of that. And, and as much as I love that work, right? I didn't that I didn't even realize how much it was affecting me. And so to be diagnosed in the midst of that, I'm sure all of that stress and it happened in 2013. My children were moving out. I got married. I was going through stress at work. All of that happening and whatever may have been laying dormant in my system just said enough. Like uh-uh, you need to stop. And I love to tell this story because I like to, especially for women, we think we're doing the right things for ourselves, but we're really not. When I got diagnosed and I went to the doctor the first time, she said, okay, now you need to go for another test. Um, I had to, I think I had to have an MRI. I had to have another chest workout with contrast, all of that. So she took me out for 30 days. So she said, okay, you stay out of work for a month, get these tests done. The main thing is going to be your rest. You can't be in a bunch of stress. I'm like, okay, we could do this. So come back in a month and see me in a month. So when I went back to see her, she was like, Okay, I was like, all right, so I guess I can go back to work now. She's like, oh, no, you're not. She said, if I don't take you out of work, you're not going to rest. And this thing could really just hit you and advance really quickly because you don't know how long it's been there. And she took me out of work for six months. And at that time, Bridget, I had about eight months of leave. That was stupid. And I will never do that again. Eight months of leave where I thought, you know, I was taken off here and there, a few hours here and there, a day here and there. Um, I wasn't utilizing my my time the way I should have because um, that that just means that I wasn't balancing my life, right? That just means, you know, as you said, taking that evaluation of your life and what's serving you and all of that, to have that much leave was not healthy at all because I wasn't taking my vacations as I should have. You know, I thought I was doing the right thing and it wasn't the job. It was me thinking that, okay, I'm doing the right thing, but really it was affecting my health. Oh yeah. And I, mm-hmm. you, you tie this to women and women of color. One of the things I've learned to be is unapologetic for caring for them. Oh yeah. And when you talk about having a job with flexibility, having a job with reasonable, attainable, um, expectations being able mm-hmm. to communicate with you well you know i'm gonna communicate anyway right but, right <laughs> you know, yeah being able to be heard and not just i hear you but let's see what we can do about it mm-hmm. i realized that was missing and, right um being in a very political environment and things like that i was on my way up and you were really on your way up to higher levels but yeah it's how 
I got off of that trajectory trajectory and life has gotten so much better. And you got healthier. Yeah. And then not only that, I was able to recoup and get back to where I was financially. Because I think for women, we have this pressure role. We have to prove that we're strong as men, that we don't need this time, Mm -hmm. that we can stick it out. Mm -hmm. But it makes sense to do that. Mm -hmm. And society hasn't, well, now they're starting to, but society doesn't always support us in that. Mm -hmm. But starting to be unapologetic about who we are and what we need is something that... Yeah. I've been at this point. Oh yeah, absolutely. And you know what? It'll come. You know, if you have to adjust your finances or do whatever to take care of your health, you better take care of your health first. And so, you know, a lot of times we have to, and myself included, have to remind ourselves of that because we can get in this mode of serving our communities, being advocates the way you are, being friends, being parents, whatever that case may be, you know, spouses or, or girlfriends or boyfriends or whatever. And, um, we forget that this better come first because if not, it's going to go by the wayside. And so, you know, I, I nap unapologetically. I have to take my naps, you know. And um, and so one of the things that I'm going to be looking to do soon is take a little um, short sabbatical from work, even if that's like a, a three, two, three week thing, uh, because that's prevention for me. I know myself and I could feel when it's time to do that. And so you, you hit the nail on the head, whether it's sarcoids or, um, you know, diabetes or any type of chronic illness that folks are dealing with, or even if you're not, if you are a woman, we better start taking care of ourselves in a, a better way and don't wait for permission to do it. You know, don't wait for permission because I believe, uh, you know, as the old folks say, we earn the cost to be the boss. So we earn the cost to be the boss of ourselves. Bridget, I am so thankful that you sat down with me tonight um, just to have this conversation and to share things about your mom that may have been difficult, but you're out there advocating for other people for this disease, other people like me and and stuff like that because um, one of the reasons why I don't talk about it so much is because I don't want it to have this hold on me. You know, sometimes, you know, that I believe in this power in what we say a lot. And so, you know, I'll say, well, you know what, I'm really tired, you know, whatever, but I don't constantly talk about the disease till folks around me will say, you know what, I really forgot that you have that, you know, but, um, and, and I'm intentional about that because what I, I always say is that I have sarcoidosis, but sarcoidosis doesn't have me. And um, I learned that from this lady, uh, I forget her name, but Dorothea, uh, I forget Dorothea's last name, and you may have come across Dorothea before, but she does this show, you can pull them up on YouTube, she's out in Bowie, it's called Let's Talk Sarcoidosis. And she's now, I think, going around the country doing it. And um, yeah, so you may wanna link up with her. As a matter of fact, I'll do an introduction. Um, She used to have, I met her through a support group at Howard County Hospital. Um, but she doesn't do that anymore because I think she's been traveling a lot with it. But she really has a um, a huge platform to bring awareness to sarcoids and things like that. And but I'm glad to hear from people like you who, um, you know, can be a voice for a lot of us because a lot of times people are like, oh yeah, well Bernie Mac had that. Well, it's Bernie Mac and thousands of other folks thousands of other folks who are dealing with this disease because you can't see it, then people don't realize that it can be very debilitating, very debilitating. Um, 
you know, you said your mom, you could see her start to slow down. But with your aunt, you can see her, you know, she's continuing to go. And and you hit the nail on the head, too, because things are different now. Things are different now. There's more women's empowerment. There's more uh, push for healthier eating and stuff like that. And so I think it's just totally different now with it's it's more accepted. Uh, but we also got to keep pushing to make sure that we take control. Mm-hmm. And just yeah. stay on top of the doctor's. When we make them meet you where you are, mm-hmm. I think that's another piece of it. And one of the things that was really shocking for my mom is that she was placed on the lung transplant list because her lungs had gotten so bad. Mm-hmm. But then they skipped over her because they couldn't reach her. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I know. So that was a whole nother thing, which she was on the fence about getting the lung transplant mm-hmm. anyway mm-hmm. because there would be more immunosuppressants. And wow only a five-year life expectancy after you get a lung transplant oh my wow wow stay on top of anything you kind of set in motion and then Mm -hmm. make the doctors work for you they're there to serve you yeah yeah um you know one of the things i definitely have to check out is because i've had a a knee surgery before but at the same time there are times when i get fatigued my legs are fatigued you know i heard you say your mom and your aunt you know sometimes struggle with the walking um it it is tough sometimes my legs get fatigued but losing weight even inches i I go to this um place called core life i don't know if you've heard of it uh but i go to core life yeah and it helps me be very accountable on a weekly basis about what i'm eating how much i'm exercising and it's not about just about weight loss that's a part of it but that's a small part of it the bigger part is all of your numbers so your blood pressure your um your BMI, your your uh, body fat, your body um, water, your water gain, all of that. And your, your blood pressure is really important. But I think that um, I would recommend to anybody out there who's listening to make sure you have some type of accountability if you're dealing with any type of inflammatory disease, but especially sarcoids. Um, and I just wanted to bring up a couple of more um, sort of uh, what you call it? So it says that um, there is no cure for sarcoids, but most people do very well with no treatment or only modest treatment. In some cases, sarcoidosis may go away on its own, and, but it lasts for years and, and can also cause organ damage. Um, and then the Mayo t- Clinic talks about um, that the cause is unknown, but experts think that it's results from the body's immune system responding to an unknown substance. Some research suggests that infectious agents, chemicals, dust, and a potential abnormal reaction to the body's own proteins, who would have thought, could be responsible for the formation of the granulomas in people who are genetically predisposed. And I tell you, I've thought of all kinds of things for years, you know. Um, you know, I have a, a girlfriend who has sarcoids, and she also, um, she served in the military. And one of the things that she said is that this is a possibility that that's where she got it from being in, um, I forgot where she was, uh, over in, um, in one of the, another a foreign country. But also, you, you just never know. You never know what we're exposed to. I had, um, my mom always talks about how I had pneumonia when I was uh, a baby. 
three times. She says it was three times, Bridget. That's what she says and that I almost died and all of that. But that's an immune system breakdown. You know what I mean? And so you never know. Maybe my immune system somewhere down the road, once it was broken down from that pneumonia at an early age, made me more susceptible, you know, to something like this. But I wanted to bring awareness. Unfortunately, I didn't get to do this during the month of April. I just wanted to bring more awareness to this disease, um, not just for myself, but for all of the other folks that are out there because I follow uh, several like Instagram accounts who talk specifically about sarcoids. Um, so I'm really happy to know that you're out there doing your thing um and making it happen for us so thank you so much for being an advocate number one um thank you for being here and what else do you want us to know about sarcoids or even about your mom bridget um my mom liked to help people Mm -hmm. um when she found out she had sarcoidosis she was just hoping that she could get the treatment and it would go away Mm -hmm. um if I had like a final word to give people, I would say just never give up. Keep mm-hmm. trying and be willing to do some untraditional things. Wow. And the best thing is just to eat real food, get exercise, nothing crazy, even if it's just walking. Mm-hmm. Get fresh air. Mm-hmm. And self-care is not a manicure. Self-care is really taking time to understand what you're feeling, who you are talking it out, it's the getting things off your chest, it's getting out negative environments, it's mm-hmm. cutting off people who are using you. That's mm-hmm. what self-care is. Being Absolutely. a licensed counselor now is one of the things that I, I find with people when they start to have symptoms of depression and go through things, the root cause of that is because something somewhere in their life, it's something prevalent that shouldn't be there, that that is. Something that or know. someone that shouldn't yep. be there, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Something or someone. Bridget, you know what? I was getting ready to wind down and I'm still going to wind down. But you said eating right, exercising, getting fresh air. Like when I go for walks, I'm like, yes, that helps me in multiple ways. I'm 48, so I need to make sure that I keep down any symptoms of um of uh, uh, what is it? Of uh, of uh, what? What is it that I'm gonna go through soon, Bridget? Remind me. Oh, what the is... change of life. Yes, exactly. So so um. Anyway, the gynecologist always says that taking walks is the best medicine for me right now. Right. So I need to do that for exercise and all that. But that fresh air. But the other thing that you said earlier is evaluating your life evaluating your life because I don't care what it is, how much medicine you have to take, what stage you're at, whether it's sarcoids, uh, breast cancer, you know, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. How we think is how we feel, right? Because I know that when I'm like, oh my God, this is a horrible day, blah, 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 I feel worse. But when I am determined every day to be like, "Mm -mm, this is gonna be a good day, no matter how I'm feeling, no matter what craziness is happening here or whatever I have going on, it's going to be a good day. And keeping those positive um, thoughts in my, you know, around me, but also being in positive environments and being around positive people, really, really quickly touch on because it is Mental Health Awareness Month. And you just mentioned being a counselor, which I forgot about um, that you do that. But 
How important is it for folks who have chronic illness like sarcoids or any other chronic illness that they've dealt with or overcome or healed from, or even if they don't have that, to prevent disease in our body, to focus on our mental health? How important is that? Your mind, your mental health is related to everything. Mm -hmm. Um, Where your mental health is can impact your recovery in every other area of your life. Mm-hmm. It starts with it starts at the top, as they say, and works its way it, its way down. And it's very important to care for your mental health. Mm-hmm. It's extremely important. If mm-hmm. you're sad, your healing is going to be sad. Right. How you think, how you feel about yourself affects everything else. Mm-hmm. If you feel good, I got this. I'm gonna beat this. I'm sick now, but I'm gonna get better. Yes. Your success being better mm-hmm. is higher. Yeah. Your likelihood of success is higher. And I think it's very important to take care of your mental health. That's first and foremost. And mm-hmm. everything else kind of follows suit. Um, yeah. And the big stigma around it, too, because people are like, oh, I have depression. Okay, well, what happened? Why do you feel this way? You're yeah. really doing work to dig deep and figure mm-hmm. out why you feel it is mm-hmm. the way it is. Being able to go back to somebody and try to address issues if it's appropriate and you feel it's necessary. Right. It's not easy. It's not easy at all, but it's very valuable because sometimes we're harboring feelings. We don't even know what the root of those feelings are. Exactly. We don't know why it's there. Mm -hmm. And then we have this anger or we have this resentment or we have this guilt or this shame on top of dealing with the illness. And I think a lot of people struggle most with loving and forgiving themselves. Mm -hmm. Granted, we have opinions about other people, but you have to Mm -hmm. love you. You Absolutely. Because if not, yep, go ahead. It's going to come out in different ways and then it'll manifest in our health, right? You know, um, it's important that people don't look at therapy as um, a thing for like, um, you know, sometimes folks feel that therapy is like this end-all be-all where people are going just because they're sick. Therapy needs to be looked at as a part of your self-care regimen, not to go all the time, but for going to during different transitions of life. You know, um, you know, I have a therapist right now. And one of the things that, um, you know, we were talking about is how different things that you don't deal with will manifest in your body in different ways. And, you know, people will say, oh, well, I'm not stressed or I'm not dealing with this, that and the other, but you're carrying a whole bunch of extra weight or you're angry or your attitude or you're treating people horribly, you know, blah, blah, blah. And so, um, it, it, is all connected with our health and um, in our communities as black women. I think we're getting better. I know we're getting better, um, but we got so far to go to continue to break down that stigma. So I'm really happy to hear that, you know, you talked about evaluating your life in that how self-care is not just um, a manicure. Thinking of us, thinking of our bodies and our mind and our spirit as a whole holistic thing is really important to overcome this disease on a daily basis. Because although they say it's no cure, there are some days where I'm like, oh, I don't even have sarcoids. You know, it, it's it's not even there. And, you know, sometimes people are like, how do you do the things that you do? Because I take a nap. Because I take care of myself because uh, even during the times where I got a lot going on, I'm like, you know what? I can't do this today. So I'm going to have to like step back. Now I need to take a seat back and say, okay, I need some time of rest. I do that from social media. 
I take some time from social media. I don't care how much business I'm trying to build, Bridget. You know, I don't believe that I have to be constantly engaging with people. That is a lot. That is a lot. So I try to balance that out too. It is it's a daily thing. But thank you for talking about that. And thank you for sharing stories about your mom and, and the things that you do. Bridget, I need you to repeat those um, websites about the sarcoidosis awareness and for people who may want to get involved. So the main one is stopsarcoidosis.org. That's the foundation for sarcoidosis research. And that's S-T-O-P-S-A-R-C-O-I-D-O-S-I-S.org. Okay. That's the main to go to. Okay. Wonderful. Stop org. Um, S T O P S A R C O I D O S I S dot org. And we have been talking to Bridget Eaton, who is a sarcoidosis awareness advocate and a licensed counselor. And so thank you, Bridget, again for sharing your story. And I thank you for just just being here. And I hope we'll connect more uh soon over more things about sarcoids and and hearing some great stories. All right. All right. Thank you. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Bye.